This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. But first, a conversation I am very much looking forward to having because it does impact all of us, some more than others. Those of us who have been the target of harassment uh, online, uh, really need to understand and unpack what we're seeing in the escalation of online attacks becoming in-person and very real threats in our lives. Watching what unfolded last week, late last week, in the private home of Nancy Pelosi, her 82-year-old husband, attacked in his home at 2.30 in the morning with a hammer, uh, with somebody who was yelling what was oft heard in, on January 6th at the U.S. Capitol. Uh, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? Right. This is very, very real when things from online turn into a big threat. And we bring in our social media educator and an online security specialist, if I may, principal at Mediated Reality. Jesse Miller is on the line. Hi, Jesse. Good morning, Jody. I get up, I, like I can feel my blood pressure rising and starting to feel nervous about this subject because it feels like every day it's escalating. Is it? It definitely is. Uh, you know, both you and I have personal experiences with this, but the reality of it is in Canada, we've seen a direct escalation over the past couple of years of individuals who spend a lot of time online. And then we see these notable events where they take their beliefs and their behaviors and apply it to what they think they need to do in our living, breathing world. And so during the pandemic, we saw an individual drive from Manitoba to Ottawa, crash through the gates of Rideau Hall. Uh, he had firearms in the vehicle and he said he was just going to go and try and have a conversation with the Prime Minister, but uh, the reality of it is, is that that could have gone any direction. Very similarly to the idea we have a Canadian who is residing in the United States and decides to break into uh, the Speaker's home. So within that, these notable events do turn into conversations about what's happening online and whether or not we should be auditing how people are using the internet. But the, uh, the bigger scope of it is, is how often these events happen and should we be more concerned uh, than we are. I'm really concerned that the uh, that the idea that there are so many elected officials, particularly to this instance with uh, the speaker's husband, um, Mr. Pelosi, being attacked in his home, now being spun and twisted and changed and, and not being, you know, you know, why is every elected official not running to their closest outlet and condemning this? Like we're seeing that spin happen again. The the want to add some disinformation to this. Maybe it wasn't an intruder. Maybe it was somebody from the left trying to make this. Like we're, we're seeing it normalized somehow. Yeah, the conspiracy piece is interesting because that becomes the conversation. And the more notable the individual, the more the conspiracy is going to be something that's spun. But yeah. just as a note, like prior to where we are with social media, just go back to Prime Minister Harper. Uh, I remember years ago, I was having a conversation with a, a member of the RCMP Prime Minister uh, Protection Team. And they said they had a person who was just having conversations online about their disdain for Prime Minister Harper. And so the perception might be that that person would be on the left because Harper was on the right. But this individual was from the right. The 
person was aligned with conservative values. They just didn't like that Harper was not conservative enough. And so they wrote things online and the RCMP had a conversation with this person and it was deemed to be not so much of a legitimate threat, just a person online. Drastically, during the Trudeau years, we've seen a huge increase. Now, we can align that with more people on social media. We can align it with aspects of the pandemic, more people at home, a different uh, trope of conversation. But even if we look at our municipal elections that just occurred, we had uh, people who stepped down from running for re-election because they said, you know, during the past couple of years, I get too many emails. I'm getting too many Facebook comments. These are things that are affecting me and my family. and I just don't want to be in this position. It's better if I go into private business. And so the attack on democracy, where we're kind of looking at the scope of Elon Musk taking over Twitter, is democracy in peril? There are parts of it very much so because we don't have individuals who are qualified, who have a good acumen, who have life experience that could be beneficial to the public good coming into the want to be in public service anymore. And so that concern now becomes, what does it mean to regulate aspects of social media so those individuals feel safe. And there we get into that conversation of, I said something on the internet, I feel like it's a violation of my free speech if you go and regulate it. But that's where Twitter shouldn't be privately owned by an oligarch. It should be something that is in the public domain where we hold accountability to individuals like we do in our democracies. Jesse Miller is my guest, social media educator and principal at Mediated Reality. And Jesse, we talk about, uh, you know, targeted harassment and, and oftentimes we you're doing a great job of bringing it back to Canada because we want to point to the U.S. and what happened last week. Also, what happened last week was news about CNN anchor Aaron Burnett uh, having someone sending her death threats, and it activated the CIA, the FBI, Interpol, and was found to be someone from Surrey. This is a very real problem right here in our neck of the woods. And as you've mentioned, you and I have both been targeted and and doing everything we can to bring swift and meaningful consequences to the people who would do this. But having that ability to identify who this is, is something that Aaron Burnett was able to do. But average Joe public will find that extremely difficult. Yeah. And again, majority of people are told, go talk to police when these kind of incidents occur. Um, The majority of general duty police do not have the resources to track down somebody who is on the other side of the world sending death threats. So the hard part here is that the advocacy for the victims becomes how do we make sure people don't feel like they can't not only turn on their email or turn on their social media, but also when it comes down to being able to support individuals when it comes to their own mental health, where are the resources? And so if we're concerned about an individual sitting in the Surrey sending death threats to a CNN news anchor, there's a mental health component there. And so we are obviously, whether it be in our everyday lives or we're looking at mental health incidents across the city of Vancouver or BC or Canada for that matter, that are very much slipping underneath the radar because we don't have enough resources. Um, the, the bigger part now becomes the family basis. Where do families then go and kind of red flag some people in their homes who are writing things on social media where they're privy to it? They see yeah. it. They see it in their family posts, but they just don't know who to turn to. We probably need more resources in policing that are based on social work that go to the concerns of threat assessment. And that's where individuals who are in private business now actually will thrive. I think that is such an important point, Jesse, that there needs to be a place where those flags, because I would argue that anyone who might harass anyone either online or actually take it into real life and and try and get to somebody physically, whether because they are enamored with them or because there is hatred for them, both would be a red flag from the mental health piece no matter what. And maybe if these flags could be caught earlier, there could be help and intervention in a way that 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 supports this and also protects the victims ultimately because it wouldn't escalate to that degree. 
Very much so. And Joe, just keep in mind, you know, in Victoria a couple of months ago, we had the police shootout, right? These two individuals yeah. took over a bank in Montreal. Those individuals, you know, they lived 40 minutes away from that bank, but they had made videos online and produced things where they were practicing for extremism. They had a lot of anti-state rhetoric and they created a, a shootout very similar to what happened in Los Angeles over 20 years ago because they wanted to take on the state and the state actors were the police. So they planned wow. purposefully to engage that way. Now, the thing is, no one was looking at their social media except for people in the community who kind of said, well, these are what these kids are like in high school. It's not a big deal. They're playing in the woods. It's not a, it's not an issue. Yeah. Now, if they had targeted a school, we would be having a lot more conversations about not only gun control in Canada, but social media assessment. And so those threat assessment tools really do fall, unfortunately, on schools to look at. And most parents, you know, we're already worried about enough things with our kids. It's not the idea that our kids are being good or bad. It's whether or not you have individuals who are able to come forward to a school principal and say, um, I saw one of my classmates post something. I'm concerned about it. Who do we go to? The school resource officer we know that you know in parts of british columbia those are already taxed as well but yeah. does the policing service have tools to work with mental health youth mental health to really assess whether or not these kind of concerns become something that we should be addressing as opposed to dismissing an ongoing conversation you're such a great resource at mediated reality on twitter uh, jesse miller thanks for this thanks jody as always Jody Vance in for Mike Smith. Want to spend a few minutes talking food and in particular Michelin star level food and those that perhaps feel a bit snubbed after last week's uh, first ever handout of Michelin stars here locally. Alex Gill, Global Mail Vancouver food critic is with me on the line. Hey, Alex. Hi, how are you? I'm good. good. Good to have you on. Okay, let's talk about first some of the most notable uh anointments of the Michelin stars that you saw? Were there, were there some where you're like, yes, I love that restaurant? <laughs> I do. I like all of the um, one-star restaurants that were, um, that were awarded. Um, the one that surprised me was the Quanjuda, uh, the Chinese restaurant. Because yeah. um, it, it was, you know, the other restaurants are all a bit small, intimate, you know, really, um, you know, chef, you know, chef owner driven. And this restaurant was kind of the only flashy one on the list. The kind of restaurant that we usually generally associate actually with Michelin stars. Um, um, it's also um, a chain from from Beijing. But um, one that actually does a lot of its own original dishes. So I think that probably gave it a bit of an edge. Yeah. Now, were there some snubs that were notable to you? <laughs> yeah. I mean, a lot of the old guard weren't recognized. Um, sort of the more established, iconic restaurants in Vancouver. I'm thinking Crocodile, Il Giardino, um, Chipinos. I, I really kind of expected Chipinos to be on the list. Because it's been awarded, you know, lots of uh, around the world. It's, it was named one of the best Italian restaurants in the world. A lot of people here might not get it because it's not traditional Italian food. But um, the chef, Pino Pastorero, is like very innovative. And so yeah. if, it, if it were in Italy, it would be awarded a star. Yeah. Isn't that interesting, Alex? Because those are the three that popped out for me. Yeah, As yeah, somebody yeah. who's who's quite a, I, I love food. My significant other is a chef. I went to culinary <laughs> school before I got into broadcast. I have my red seal. So these are the places that I would associate with. Well, that's an easy uh, well, one star. Well, I mean, Crocodile I mean, would have been, you know, the thing about the Crocodile, the reason people love it is because it's been the same way for 30 years. Correct. So maybe the, the you know, the mission. 30 years ago, it was sort of made in the mold of a Michelin restaurant, but um, maybe not innovative enough for today, you know. 
um, something like Boulevard. I mean, it was really weird that none of the hotel restaurants were nominated. Good um, note. And yeah. some of our fanciest restaurants are in hotels, like Botanist, um, Mott 32, um, Bacchus at the Wedgwood, and Boulevard. Boulevard is one of the most awarded restaurants locally. There's won tons of awards. But um, I think, I don't know what the motion judges felt about that one, but um, I was surprised not to see that on the list. And you have to remember that consistency matters. Right. Um, five different judges, five different inspectors go. It has to be, you know, performing at top level every single time. And, you know, this summer when the judges were here, it was a difficult time for restaurants. A lot of them were understaffed. They weren't, you know, offering their, you know, their premier tasting menus. So, you know, it was an awkward time for the for the inspectors to visit. So when when the in- inspectors are visiting, is it like a secret shopper situation in terms of like <laughs> nobody knows who's there or exactly. when? Or, yeah. Yeah. They don't announce themselves. They pay for themselves. I mean, they're all apparently culled from the hospitality industry. You don't have journalists, former journalists going and doing this. No. It's like former chefs, former sommeliers. You know, former general managers, and they're from. They could be from anywhere in the world. So it really, I think, in a, it's an ideal situation. I mean, yeah. I wish I could still be anonymous, you know, <laughs> because <laughs> you, you, you do get a different level of treatment. So, in for me, it creates a very level playing field. I mean, a lot of restaurants who have done a good job of, um, you know, buttering up the concierges in town, or mm-hmm. you know, courting the media, they're the ones who weren't on the list. Um, and you know, you can't, you can't buy these awards. It's a, it, they play by a different game. Which I love, Alex. That is so cool and such a salient point, right? There's the butterer uppers, the people with the big budgets in order to be able to say, Hey, look at me, look at us. We're doing this. And yet there's just some, some really delicious, hardworking chefs and, and front of house, back of house in these restaurants that were given this honor of a Michelin star. I love that you note that you can no longer anonymously with just one minute to go, (laughs) what's it like when Alex Gill walks into a restaurant in Vancouver? It's like, Oh God, she's here. Well, I couldn't. I could never be anonymous. Even before I started reviewing restaurants, I had my, yeah. you know, my mug shot in the paper. But um, yeah, I mean, sure. Sometimes I still <laughs> rock in, and I'm not noticed, and I don't ever, you know, reserve under my own name. So you know, right. people, you know, I try not to bring attention to myself. But in this digital age, everybody has, uh, you know, their their picture online. It's hard to yeah. be. It's hard to go by the old rules anymore. Yeah, I'm smiling the whole time I'm asking you this because it's <laughs> what a fun thing to be known for. Here comes the woman who's going to dust my food and, and <laughs> give a critique, a fair critique as well. I really appreciate that from you. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, yeah I'm, I was so happy to see some of the restaurants that, were, you know, I, I mean, I think all the, the starred restaurants deserve it. But there are, you know, somebody like uh, Andrea Carlson at Berta & Co., you know, she's mm-hmm. been a a, like a game changer for Vancouver. She's the one who, you know, who established the relationships with all the small farms, like, you yeah. know, in Agassi and, you know, all, you know, in the Fraser Valley. And, you know, if we can, if we ha- are known for our farm to table sort of um, ethos now, she's the one who established those links. And to see her recognized was really wonderful. I think Burdock & Co. is like a great restaurant. And the room burst into applause. Like, you know, everyone Woo-hoo! was so happy to see her. Yeah. I love it. See her love get it. her due. Yeah. Alex, I could talk to you all day, but I'm out of time here. So thank you very much okay. for doing this. And I love that we leave it on that note of shining some light on Burdock & Co. I couldn't agree with you more. I appreciate your time today.
Great day. Jody Vance in for Mike Smith. And uh, boy, we got a conversation to be had here with Brad Galloway. Brad is the coordinator at the Center on Hate, Bias, and Extremism at Ontario Tech University. He works with the Organization for the Prevention of Violence and Life After Hate. Brad's work is informed by his own experience in a right-wing extremist group. Brad Galloway, glad to have you here, my friend. Thanks for doing this. Yeah, no worries, Brad. Glad to be here. I'm like sort of all over the map with where to even jump off with this conversation because there's so much of it going on right now. Where should we be focusing our attention? It feels kind of like trying to drink from a fire hose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I, you know, I was just talking with somebody just the other day about this, about how polarized things are and how we need to meet, have some place where we can meet. Uh, about a lot of these things that that are going on about the, uh, out there right now, um, and and particularly when we're when we're looking at uh, extremism and racism and all of these things that you know are big alarmist codes out there. We we want to make sure that we're tr- still trying to take um, take this evaluation of that we are humans and we we need to meet somebody uh, somewhere in the middle to to uh, to deal with these issues. To deal with these issues and have the conversation, it just feels like so much anger and frustration. Uh, racism has just bubbled up to the surface over the last number of years. And and we're even seeing it with some of our, our pulp culture people, like enter Kanye West, with just the anti-Semitism that has been thrown out there. And we could get into whys and hows of Kanye, but it sparked more of it. Like there's, you know, people hanging banners on the 405 in Los Angeles, you know, doing a... A, a Nazi salute, uh, and mm-hmm. and thinking that it's okay because Kanye's doing it. Well, well, that's the thing, and I think we we might have talked about this before, but it's kind of like um, it, it depends on the, the the voices of the people who are who are uh, sort of giving this place this space a a you know uh, permission. It's, yeah, like it's almost like a the. If it's if it's Kanye, if it's a politician, if it's like we've seen in in the Canadian context over the past while, um, like it's it's like how um, how these people just don't understand by their position in society and the social hierarchy that we have out there that where celebrities are are uh, often voices that are are trusted out there and then they're out there spouting, uh, you know. Uh, anti-Semitic rhetoric and things like that. So that's, um, you know, um, we need to be uh, clear and and we need to call out these folks just as much as we would call out anybody else in society as well. So Brad, with your history, you spent 13 years of your life, right? It's sort of indoctrinated in a right-wing extremist movement. Mm -hmm. Is that, is that accurate to say that you were... Okay, mm-hmm. so when you were in it, if you heard me talking about it in the way that you and I are just talking about it now, how would you excuse it? Well, how would I? How would I excuse it? Well, it, it's often, often uh, you know these things are played off as uh, you know, it's just it's just a one off, or it's just uh, you know this this person is just misguided or or whatever or. Um, a lot of these groups in 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 the inside in themselves would would just play it off as well. You know, if if others can do it, so can we. Right. Um, 
you know, we heard a lot about uh, that kind of thing with the BLM movement that was going on with all the protests. It was like, well, then the, the white supremacist groups would say, well, look, the BLM folks are also terrorists, so they're also extremists. So we, you know, we should be able to do it, too. Right. Um, I, I would like to say that no forms of extremism should be acceptable in society. So, yeah. Um, yeah, um, that. you know, there's that piece. Yeah. yeah. So if somebody, Brad, if somebody finds themselves or let's, you know, being the mother of a 14 year old, almost 15 year old, uh, you know, if I'm watching over my, my lad who doesn't have the, the lived experience of actually sort of knowing somebody who fought in, in, in world wars or had, had dealt with the level of, of ugliness that can be born of extremism, as you said, on, on either side of the spectrum, but certainly uh, the the uh, racial piece uh, that led to uh, the uprising of Nazi Germany. Um, you know, and the deniers, the the those who would who would like to not learn from history and therefore perhaps repeat it. Somebody who might be pulled in. You and I have talked about this before um, in your experience that people get pulled into the indoctrination of, of extremist groups because there is kind of a, a familial bond that is born there that perhaps they don't have elsewhere in their life. How does somebody begin to pull somebody out of that? What is, what are the resources available, uh, to, to contact or learn from someone like you? So, I mean, I, I work with a, a program that's based out of Edmonton, Alberta, called the Evolve Program, where uh, families uh, that have somebody who's unfortunately become wrapped up in extremism can go to to get help uh, when talking with uh, with either mentors or mental health professionals, uh, any anything like that. We there's also um, an, an, an interesting dynamic where uh, folks with lived experiences work along with um, mental health uh, professionals in assisting individuals who have become themselves wrapped up that are looking for help in getting out of these types of groups. Um, and, and often it's, it's about taking a, a compassionate uh, stance and in a, in a playing, uh, letting that play a role. Um, in in the healing process of somebody who's wanting to get away and and looking at compassion where they maybe shouldn't have received it, um, also atonement things like that. Teaching folks about about that, how we might be go be able to go back into the community at some point and and atone for the things that you had, you had been a part of during uh, during these times within extremist groups or racist groups. Um, accountability is a huge thing that we we talk about. Um, and, and I mean, this is adaptable in many fields, but just being accountable for those actions and, and saying those out loud. Uh, often we see a lot of that in the addiction field as well, you know, being able yeah. to say it and move forward. Um, and also within the programming, there's, there's um, you know, the, the access to mental health professionals, but also like in, within the community, there's a lot of connections with other other programs, too, if, if folks are are in need of different services. Um, there's, uh, you know, referral streams that have been, have been created, which is, which is a fantastic, uh, scenario for folks who are, you know, dealing with multiple different things in their lives. There might be somebody listening right now is like, that's me. I need, I need this help. Is, mm-hmm. is there a, is there a destination? Is there a website, a number to call mm-hmm. somewhere? Sure. I mean, they can, can go to preventviolence.ca to, um, and then uh, click on the Evolve program, and and uh, yeah, there's a there's a form right there where you can uh, get connected. Preventviolence.ca. Brad Galloway, such a resource. Uh, what you're doing is so very important, and and for people that are feeling like 
they're so painted into a corner that they can't get out of it and no one will ever forgive them. Uh, you're an example of somebody who can help with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can get out. There's nothing, there's nothing binding us. We can, um, you know, you can, you can move forward. I, there's plenty of examples. I, I work around a lot of folks who left different lifestyles, not, not just extremism, but gangs and things like that as well. Um, and it's, it's, um, yeah, it's super inspiring, uh, to, to see that, you know, the amount of change that, um, you know, people are, are capable of. Um, and it's, uh, yeah, it's, there's help, there's help available. There's help available. You just got to push over that first domino. And I'm assuming that if somebody goes uh, to the website that they're not going to be tracked or followed or called out because there is some concern that that speaking out or wanting to leave might then turn you into a target. Yeah, no, it's uh, they're all confidential services um, as well. I mean, if there's uh, anybody comes across this from the U.S. too, there's the Life After Hate. It's the same same sort of program, and and it's. There's, there's con, con, totally confidential services that, um, you know, uh, folks would be receiving. And, and yeah. Good to know. Brad Galloway also yeah. on social media, on your Twitter. A great follow there. And always appreciate being able to bend your ear. Thanks for doing this. No worries. Thanks for having me. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Jody Vanson for Mike Smith. We are twisting to a different perspective in this next segment as it is all about a concerned citizen. My DMs are open on my social media. I put out my email here on the show anytime I fill in. Jody at cknw.com is my email. J-O-D-Y at cknw.com. Again, like my DMs on Twitter are open at Jody Vance. Again, Jody with a Y at Jody Vance on Twitter. And our next guest is someone who reached out by DM with a story that I immediately facepalmed and like, I can't believe this is happening. And yet at the same time, can totally see this as happening. And it is something that we should shine a light on in order for more people to look out for this, identify it, and then hopefully do something about it. Robin Brown is a concerned citizen who has brought to our attention how elderly who may be struggling to the degree of needing assisted living or even long-term care are being left in apartments, random apartments, that that are just left to fend for themselves. Robin, thank you so much for joining me and and I'm looking forward to you sharing the story that that you brought to my attention, frankly. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So how did this all unfold for you? How did you identify it and what sparked you to to reach out to me? Well, it's sort of been a concern that I've had over 
several years. But, you know, because of the backstory, I mean, I've been living in senior buildings for approximately 15 years. So the building I'm in now is my second building. And, you know, over the years, you know, I mean, you see all the different issues with elderly folks, all the things that go along with aging. But more recently, and I really believe it's because, you know, we just didn't see it as much when we were in lockdown. But now that, you know, we're we're out and, you know, we're conversing with our neighbors and, you know, folks down the hall and whatnot, we see it more and more. And one of the things that is becoming more prevalent is some of the elderly folks that have kind of mental health issues or some that really appear to be declining, you know, because they have dementia or perhaps early stage Alzheimer's, you know, is becoming becoming a real concern and and it's a concern for myself it's a concern for you know the other tenants because you know we'll talk about this you know I'll talk about with my neighbors and whatnot And, and you know we're worried we're worried that you know there's safety issues safety for the individual and safety for other tenants and the building for that matter. So Robin, tell us a little bit about the building. You said you've been living in a, in a, a community uh, Correct. For, the la- for the last while. So what are sort of the criteria for one to live within the community, that, that the buildings that you're living in now? These buildings are senior buildings. They are 55 and up. Uh, the majority are low income, pensioners. Um, there's There's a few couples, you know, that are perhaps a little younger that are still working and but but there's a lot of age groups you know everybody from let's say the beginning the 55 right up to 95 right and you know so so there's no no one's really having a big shaker of a party in your community that's what it's built for right it's sort of just a little bit of a quieter vibe to your community it's not meant to be an assisted living situation right that's correct. Yeah. Okay. So with let's let's say with the the most notable in your community who might be struggling, the people that have flagged this for you, do they mm-hmm. have family? Do you talk to the is there, are you looking for a place to report this or are you looking for somebody to help these people? Well, you know, I think we're I think we're all looking for more support for people. You know, um, I mean, in in our building, for example, we see quite a few caregivers coming and going, and, and we also see some family members, you know, that come and go. But you know, we know that families, you know, also have their families, and so so they're not here twenty four seven. So then, consequently, you know, when when the the tenant is on their own. And very often it's in the evening and at night, you know, then it's the other neighbors, the ones that are very close in proximity that, you know, keep an eye out. And, yeah. you know, it, it just it's so concerning. And, and very often it does affect the, the close neighbor. I mean, I'll give you an example. I mean, I had a conversation on transit uh, recently that, you know, her neighbor, which is, you know, one of the tenants in the building, um, kept her up all night because, you know, she has dementia and she had her TV and she was, you know, yelling at the TV all night and all this sort of thing. So, you know, often it affects others. And, yeah. you know, we don't want to interfere in people's privacy. You know, we really don't. I mean, we just want everybody to be safe. 
you know, and, and often, you know, it just seems like that's not possible. And going back to your goal of getting the support that is needed for the people who are struggling and maybe don't even know that they're struggling and their family members aren't aware or they don't have that family, you're the family within that community. So perhaps there's an answer to be found here, Robin, um, that that might be from a, a, a level of government or BC care providers, some some way to help flag those who need that next level of support to activate that support, right? Absolutely. Yes. And, and, you know, I mean, I know, for example, I mean, Isabel McKenzie is, you know, one of the senior government, senior advocate. And, you know, I think it's folks like that, that, you know, need to, you know, maybe address some more specific issues. I mean, there's always, you know, we don't have enough income and, you know, gas is high and all, all the other things, but, you know, some of these issues are very specific. Yeah. And, and I, I'd like to just address one other thing. And one of the other things that really is concerning is fire. You know, right. I mean, forgetfulness is an issue. We know that. And, you know, leaving a pot unattended, you know, and starting a fire is, <laughs> it's a real it's concern. Real. It is. I mean, there, there have been a lot yeah. of fires recently. And, and, you know, this is really, you know, really concerning for people. You know what, Robin, you bring some very, very important points to the table. And I'm not I'm not sure if you know, but perhaps you are aware of my work with Clear Alzheimer's because of the experience of being the essential caregiver for my dad for about a decade. And those yes. first signs, those first signs and signals, you know, we all know that we all know somebody who has struggled with dementia or, or early stages Alzheimer's. And the very last thing they're going to do is yell from the rooftops that they're feeling like they can't take care of themselves anymore. That's so it's right. how do That's we right. step in, in a way, as you said, and I think you're a concerned citizen who's trying to use your voice to, to shine some light on this. And, I, and that's one of the reasons why I said, will you come on the radio with me? There's no yeah. real, there's no real thing that you and I could actively do other than to put, put some light onto this, some daylight to it and say, maybe this is worthy of somebody sort of taking the gauntlet up and saying, what can we do to activate, to help people? Because there are these dangers, these flags that need to be addressed that are growing and we do have a growing senior community, a healthy one, a vibrant one, one that with a little bit of support, those people that, that are struggling with those early Alzheimer's or, or dementia issues could, could thrive for, for years to come, but not if they're left to wallow in it. So Robin, thank you for taking the time out of your day to write to me and to come on here and use your voice for, I think what, what might help people. Thank you. You know, just one last thing, Um, you know, we are seniors, we know seniors, and hopefully we will all be seniors. And so it's a very, very important issue. And is. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Jody Vance in for Mike Smith. It is Halloween. Some people love it. Some people don't. The kids, well, they sure do. Because, I mean, trick-or-treating, it's so fun. And the last couple of years, it's been super weird with COVID, and yet... Uh, The good news this evening, the weather is supposed to cooperate for the most part. Might be a little bit damp, but it's not going to be an atmospheric river this evening. So the kids will be able to get out and trick or treat. So how do they do that safely? What are some tips and tricks? Let's go to somebody who knows. Steve Addison, BPD Media Relations, joins me on the line. Hey, Steve. Hey, Jody. How are you? I'm good. How are you? 
Good. Happy Halloween. Are you a Halloween huh? type person? Do you love a costume? Do you love to get out? Are you spooky? <laughs> well, you know what? It, uh, I don't have a costume myself, but I'll be out with my uh, my little witch and my little Minecraft zombie, uh, and we'll be out doing the trick-or-treating thing. Nice. I have my wizard yeah. as well. Might be the last year for mine. I don't get to go with him <laughs> this year because he's he's almost 15. He's at that moment. It, this is it. So I'm worried yeah. about him because, you know, it's not, it hasn't exactly been safe on our streets the last while. So can you talk us through first with kids, little ones, some tips for us there, and then we'll get to maybe the bigger kids and what we need to be mindful of. Yeah, sure. It's interesting you mentioned your own your own uh, kid there because, you know, as a parent or as a kid, you really only get a few years to do this uh, as a family. And it's, re- it's supposed to be, we want it to be a really good experience for everybody um, and a memory-making experience. So in order to do that, everybody needs to take very basic precautions to stay safe. And really, it hasn't changed much since you and I were kids uh, and we were out trick-or-treating. There's some very basic common sense things uh, that you need to do to stay safe. Um, you know, on a night like this, everybody needs a little bit of a reminder um, about how to stay how to stay safe and some common sense things to do. So it's like, you know, if you're going out, make sure with if you're going out with your little ones, make sure you're walking in groups. Um, stick together. Um, it's going to be dark out there, so visibilities. Even though it's not going to be, you know, a, a, an atmospheric river, it's visibility is going to not be the greatest. So walking yep. groups. If you can wear something reflective on your costume, even if it's an armband or a flashing light or uh, carry a flashlight, that's that's not a bad idea. Um, uh, be mindful when you're crossing the road and know that, you know, there's a lot of different people, whether it's you're on foot, you're in a car, you're on a bike, you're on a skateboard, whatever. There's a lot of people who are just trying to move around the city and we want everybody to get where they're going. So really, the best advice is have fun, but, you know, to take a deep breath, slow down, make sure you get there safe so you can have a memorable fun night. Okay, now let's talk about what kids are wearing and particularly, you know, I got a six foot one 14 year old. He looks like a man when he's out there and the want to maybe dress up like uh, somebody in the military or dress up like a police officer and maybe, you know, yeah. wave around a replica weapon. This is not the time for this. I'm, at least that's what yeah. I'm saying. Yeah, well, we, you know, again, it comes down to common sense. And we know people are going to dress up in all kinds of different costumes. And it, it never fails on a Halloween night. And even the, the the weekends before Halloween, when everybody's out in the entertainment districts going to the bars, yeah. it never fails that we're going to get calls from people uh, who see people uh, with weapons, uh, you know, uh, imitation weapons that could be perceived to be real. Just know if you're going out and you're carrying something around, it could cause fear. Uh, it could cause somebody to overreact and it could result in a call to us. So use some common sense. Uh, don't be, if, try not to be carrying anything around that looks like a real weapon uh, or certainly be acting in a way that could be threatening to anybody. We always want people to call us when they feel unsafe, if they see something that makes them feel uneasy, uh, and, and we'll certainly respond if they do, but we don't want to have to do that. We want everybody to have a fun, safe, enjoyable night, make good memories with their, uh, with their families and their kids. We're with VPD Media Relations, Steve Addison. Do people call 911 to report things like, somebody's setting off fireworks? Yeah, we get we get lots of calls like that. The, Halloween night is 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 typically one of the busiest nights, if not the busiest night of the year, for calls to police for nine one one calls. It's very common for us to get uh, calls about uh, fireworks, whether it's somebody who's reporting a bylaw offense, somebody who's upset that fireworks are being uh, uh, deployed in their in their cul de sac in their neighborhood, or it's somebody who hears a loud bang and thinks it's something else. 
right. again, we, you know, somebody, everybody will know that there's fireworks happening, and and whether they're whether they're allowed to be set off in the in the municipality that you live in. Um, and and everybody should be aware of that, but it it doesn't uh, it doesn't stop people from from uh, from calling us, and uh, we'll respond to those incidents when we believe there's a significant public safety risk. Right. Likewise, so in- with, likewise with fireworks and firecrackers. Um, listen, we know uh, whether you're allowed to have them or not, depending on where you live. Yeah. Uh, there will be people who fire them off, uh, who light them off, and um, while we can't chase around everybody who's lighting off a Roman candle. Um, we'll certainly be responding if there are people who are doing so, doing this in a way that um, makes people feel unsafe, puts other people in danger, or is, or is acting recklessly. So, uh, again, Good it comes know. down to, you know, common sense and remembering this is a night for, for fun, it's a night for families, and it's a night for kids to make good memories. Yeah, try and keep a... Try and keep a lid on the concerning stuff, if you will. Don't don't go over the top in trying to scare people, particularly with this. With regard to 911, though, Steve, is there a criteria that the VPD put out for people in when it's a 911 call versus a non-emergency line call? Because the non-emergency line does also get you a human being to talk to. Yeah, so we always tell people if you feel unsafe, if there's if there's if you see a crime in progress, if you feel unsafe, if somebody's doing something to threaten you or make you feel unsafe, that's a nine one one call. If you need us there right away, call nine one one and we'll get there as soon as possible. If it's uh, uh, less of an emergency, if it can wait, if there's not an immediate safety risk, call seven one seven three three two one in Vancouver uh, to get to the non emergency line. You can make a report that way. Uh, it'll be busy tonight. There'll be we'll have lots of police officers out, but there's also going to be lots of calls that we're going to be jumping around to. So we right. need to be able to prioritize the the, the biggest uh, public safety risks so that we can uh, meet everybody's needs properly and 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 do it in, a, in an effective way. Just thirty seconds to go. I know you're super busy today, Steve. When people are worried about candies that their kids might have collected being tainted with something uh, or or mislabeled, what have you, what what should we be cautious about there? Yeah, here's what I do with my kids. We go out, we collect a bunch of candy, we come home, we throw it down on the ground, and we sort through it. I've got a son that's got a peanut allergy, so we go through and we pull out all the stuff, anything that could have nuts. Uh, we pull out anything that, that could appear to be uh, uh, unusual or uh, not wrapped properly. The reality is, though, um, reports of things like tainted candy uh, or, or anything that could be harmful is uh, is not something that, that typically happens a lot. It's talked about a lot, but not something that we, we tend to see a lot. A little bit more uh, old wives' tale or folklore than it is in actual fact, <laughs> yeah. which is good news, Steve. Let's have fun on Halloween. Fun trick-or-treating with your, you said zombie and you got a, I got a zombie and zombie. a witch. Nice. Enjoy. Yep.